Romans is a powerful book. We are live. We welcome all you guys that are watching us, wherever you're watching us from. And we wanted to welcome again Peru. We picked up that country. I think that makes us about 58 countries that we know about that are watching. Uh, <clears throat> some of them can't let us know where they're at because they're in tough situations. But we got 58 countries and I think 48 states or 47. So we welcome all you guys that are with us tonight or that will get this podcast sometime this week. We've been going through the book of Romans and now it's going to get into the meat of some things that we need to know as believers and how to live victorious lives. That's what I want to we're going to start getting into that section of this book from the Holy Spirit who he asked the Apostle Paul to pin down. So we're going to talk about the law some more and grace and the new covenant versus the old covenant. And, uh, and then we're going to see, start seeing some ways that we can have a victorious Christian life. And, and that's, that's the struggle, right? We're in a battle. Uh, and so we want to be able to live victorious in Christ. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all the blessings you've given us. And we pray, Lord, as, uh, for your mercy and grace to be extended to us, Lord. And we pray <clears throat> for all your people, Lord, to grow closer to you. And uh, we pray, Lord, for your mercy to come on us and revelation to come on us and understanding and strength so that we can live in these last days. Lord, when the couple of requests we bring for you tonight, Lord, uh, Reed family, an extension of that, Lord, a young baby that's about to pass away, we pray for the family, this eight-month-old baby, that your will would be accomplished there. We lift them up to you right now in this time of decision, of, of unplugging and all that. We just pray, Lord, that you will show grace. And if there's people around that situation that are lost, we pray that you'll open their eyes to who you are. We also pray for Sister Mary, Lord. She's in the hospital. And we just pray that your mercy will be extended to her in this time of her need, Lord. And you'll uh, give her strength and help her to recover. <clears throat> and we just pray for Tammy, Lord, and the blessing you did in her and this surgery she went through and already bring her home. We pray that you'll just help her have a speedy recovery. And Lord, and we have all... Lots of folks, Lord, that are one of the people at the well that's got cancer. Larry, we pray for him, uh, that you'll strengthen him and help him to be healed of that. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of need, lots of need. I think the enemy has certainly picked up his stuff because we're living in the last days. I think we're living in the last of the last days. Uh, and we're uh, getting a lot of warfare going on. So as I, I, one of the main tactics for, from Satan is to, uh, to distract us or get us defeated or discouraged and get us to back off. And so he tries everything he can. You know, he likes to work in the natural, the supernatural. And the, certainly his biggest place to work is probably in the realm of the mind, you know, just constantly bombarding people with doubt and fear and greed and lust, the things of the world, just trying to keep people unsettled and distracted. So let's, let's stay in the Word of God. Let's stay in prayer. Let's encourage each other. And let's uh, make sure we keep our focus as we race toward the end of time. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. This is one of the powerful chapters here. And I'll be uh, showing you a few things on the board here as we move through here. Uh, let me uh, 
back up to verse 18 in the previous chapter and let's continue this thought because as I've told you before, the original writings did not have chapters. That was added later. It don't damage the scripture or anything, but sometimes we break a thought up that we need to carry on. It says, therefore, as though one man's offense, in chapter 5, verse 18, says, therefore, as though, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. So the contrast between Adam, our, our, head, our head, our spokesperson, basically our representative, he was the first man in the flesh that God created, uh, he is, he's uh, our representative, so we had this condemnation through his fall, uh, but we don't have any stones to throw at him because we've seen our own lives, right? So we, uh, but then he says, uh, then the righteous act, a free gift came to all men resulting in justification. So we went from condemnation to justification if we believe in Christ. So this word shalom is a big word, and I try to use it often. Use it as a, a salutation, sometimes as a greeting, uh, because of the power of that word shalom. It is, uh, Lot says, if, if, if I say to you shalom, I'm saying a lot. And I'm saying peace to you, of course. That is the broad meaning of that. But if I use the word shalom with Tim, if I come to Tim and if I understand the context. Of course, you need people with understanding to know what's going on. But I, if I say shalom to Tim, then Tim knows two things right off the bat if I use that word. This is the, the beauty of the Hebrew and Greek language. They can do a lot more with their words than we can. That's why the English language is so wordy. <laughs> and we need so many adjectives and adverbs and stuff. But if I say shalom to Tim, then Tim knows two things right off the bat when I say that to him. He knows that I'm saying to him, everything's okay between he and I, and everything's okay between me and God. And if he says shalom back, then I recognize the same thing. But in the Hebrew, this word uh, means cessation of againstness. That's a weird way to say that when you're at peace with God, or if you're at peace with one another, there's no, nothing against you, right? It's, it's, he ceased to be against us. The Bible says that our righteousness is filthy rags. We are the enemy of God, right? Paul's very clear about that. But once we come to Christ and we're born again, then God is no longer against us, right? We're not on two different sides, so that ceases, the cessation of againstness. He ceases to be against us because of the work of His Son if we accept that, right? But if we don't accept His Son because of His righteousness and because of uh, truth versus uh, the, the lie, then we're on opposite sides, right? We're, we're against God until we come to Christ. And so that's what's happening here. We we're held under condemnation because of our representative Adam, or Adam, and then we were released from that. If we believe on Christ, we're, we have justification now. What does that mean? Everything. That means everything. Because the Bible says if a man 
gains the whole world and loses his soul, there's no profit in that. So if we're not justified before God, and the only way we can be justified before God is to come through Jesus Christ, then life don't mean nothing. <laughs> that sounds cruel, don't it? But it really don't. Don't matter how many toys you got. Don't matter how much stuff you've got. Don't matter how many things you've accomplished. If you miss heaven, your life was in vain. Mine, whoever. Life really don't mean anything unless you settle your account with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's tragic to think about, and some of us were there, right? We were all there. It's, uh, it's tragic to think about all the pursuits people go after at the expense of their eternity, eternal destiny. And so he goes on to say, he said, uh, For as by one man's disobedience made um, many were made sinners, so also one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, that's, we've talked about that, uh, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you're going to have to settle that, come through Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? As we're going to chapter 6 here. Certainly not. So the carnal mind would say, well, if, if we get more grace with all this sin around us, you know, that's... He, and he answers that, right? He says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, I think I want to take you to 1 John. Let's run over to 1 John real quick. Uh, and let's talk about this concept of... of uh, sin. Look at uh, chapter 1 of 1 John. Uh, verse, let's just start with verse 5. He says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Think about that. Right? That's why you'll hear me say that they really didn't, couldn't kill Jesus. Death had no legal claim on Him. Death reigns because of sin. Well, Jesus had no sin. So He, he said, I'm going to lay my life down. The Bible said He gave up the ghost. Right, He had to release his own spirit because death had no claim on him like it does us. And so he says, uh, <clears throat> this message we've heard, we declare there's no darkness in God. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And what you'll notice happens sometimes even in the church, you'll watch sometimes a separation come in somebody's life who drifts from God because they're uncomfortable about around being around His people as well. So that's, that's all a ploy. That's a tactic of the enemy uh, to get uh, like we see on these uh, Discovery Channel, right? They get that weak elk or zebra away from the fold, right? And then the predators eyeball that. That's how the, the devil works. The Bible said he's like a roaring lion. And I was watching one of those shows years ago, and 
The reason the devil is effective at what he does is, number one, we don't stay focused on the truth and on God and we get our eyes off on the wrong things like Peter did when he was walking out on the water, was doing fine until he took his eyes off Jesus. But the enemy, the Bible compares Satan like to a roaring lion. And that roaring lion, they say, has surround sound. And one of the things that a roaring a lion can do, it can paralyze its prey in Africa. Because when they roar, the prey gets paralyzed because they can't tell which direction it's coming from. And so that's how the enemy works in our lives, right? He makes us think he's way bigger and more around us than he really is. But he, he's a liar, right? So uh, everything he does has deception in it. If, uh, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from, from all sin. So there's a, a, a practice going on there, right? He talks about practicing, right? Uh, as we walk this way, there's a constant cleansing going on in our lives. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, we've got the fellowship with each other. We've got the fellowship with God. Uh, we're walking in the light as he is in the light. And light will always overcome darkness. There's never a time where darkness overcomes light. If we shut all these lights down and it got completely dark in here, we could turn them back on and the darkness would take off. It can't stay. Once the light comes, the darkness has to leave. You could go into a completely dark room and turn on a light or, or just light a match. And you could see that match. That light would overcome. The darkness could not quench it. And that's, that's the power. That's the side we're on. When I worked in the mines, we worked five miles underneath the mountain. In one particular mine, it's about as high as the back of those chairs there you're sitting in. And one day I went to the end of the track and I had to crawl to the, very, to the face in a section that was five miles underneath the mountain. When I got back there, I was doing something by myself. It, the whole crew wasn't around. But when I got back there, I decided to turn my wheat light off. It's the light you have on your helmet. I thought, I'm going to see how dark it is back here. And uh, I know Colin can relate to this, but when I turned my wheat light off, <clears throat> you could feel the darkness. That's how dark it is. You can imagine being under a mountain five miles with no light. And there were no strings of lights either. We were too far off the beaten path. I was back there in a little section by myself doing something, but was, the darkness was so rich and real, you could feel it. That's how dark it was. But as soon as I turned my light on, it was gone. It was gone. That's the power of light. Even five miles underneath a mountain where there's no electricity, I turned that wheat light on and bam, you could see. And anybody walking back through there could have seen that light. They could see it. That's the side we're on. Think about that. Think about the power of the light and the power of, uh, to overcome darkness. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So that's the dilemma, right? Sin. Sin is our problem. It's the biggest problem in the world. Hunger's not the biggest problem. A lack of cash, 
or money's not the biggest problem. Disease and sickness is not the biggest problem. Wars and rumors of wars is not the biggest problem. Those are all problems. But the biggest problem the world has is S-I-N, sin. That's the biggest problem because not only does that cause all these other things, if you realize if we could go back to the garden and our uh, representative had not given in to sin, we'd still be living here, right, on and on and on, and there there wouldn't be any sickness, there wouldn't be any disease, there wouldn't be any wars or anything. But once sin came in and it started tainting and it started going against the truth, which is what Satan did, then all this other stuff, it gave rise to all the stuff we see in the natural, all the stuff in the realm, in the mental realm, all the stuff in the supernatural realm, where that even uh, Gabriel was in a battle with uh, the prince of Persia, right? When Daniel was praying, they were battling it out in the heavenlies. So that gave rise to all that. My little children, he said, these things I write to you that you may not sin. See, that's what Paul was saying there in Romans. Is grace here that we should sin? Certainly not. He said, I write these things to you that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So the good news is, when you sin, you notice what I said? When you sin, I didn't say if you sin, when you sin, you got an advocate, you got a mediator, you got a daysman, is what Job called him in his book. You got a go-between, somebody that will take your place and forgive you. And, and so he himself is our propitiation. This we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. This is strong language, but it's plain language. It's easy to understand. So if somebody says to me, I don't know if I'm saved or not, my first question is, do you obey the Lord? That's how you know. Doesn't mean you're perfect because we see that not everybody's perfect. We have an advocate for that. But your life, and this is what I wanted to get to in this book, where he uses the word of practicing. Your life practices righteousness. Paul talks about you used to practice sin, but now you practice righteousness. It doesn't mean you don't sin from time to time. But now the practice of your life is righteousness where before Christ or B.C., you and I practiced sin, right? That's the difference. We don't, none of us are going to make it through life without sinning. But we change teams. We now practice the light. We don't practice darkness anymore, right? That's the shift that came. And he says, I know him. Uh, he says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Remember, that's a phrase we've all heard growing up, right? You're a liar and the truth ain't in you, right? He says, uh, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked, right? Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning, The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now that's just going to keep getting brighter. The world's getting darker. But when he comes back, the Bible says he'll be brighter than the sun. And the Bible says 
There will be no sun over there on the other side because His light will give the light, right? He is that, his, his, that's the power of light. And there's the great contrast. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So there's this major contrast. The reason I took you over there is to show you the contrast between light and darkness because Paul is showing us the contrast here between the law and the new covenant. There's a contrast. There's always a contrast. So back to Romans chapter 6, he says that we shouldn't sin because grace is here, certainly not. And uh, then in verse 3 he says, Or do you not know that as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Therefore we're buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So he's trying to take away our excuse, right? That whoever would say that they are excusing themselves because grace is here, right? It's not a big uh, garbage bin out back where you just throw everything. Grace is here that we might have the light of Christ working in our lives, not so we can continue to live in sin. And so he, he talks about, and this is the Greek word, uh, for baptism that we baptizio and we the world gave us that word right they did they it's not that's not a religious word it is it's just a greek word and this word means to be immersed and you need to you need to i probably misspelled that my wife says i write better in greek than i do english but uh, immersed, um, that's what the word baptizio or baptize means. It means to be immersed. Now, the key when you're using this word is what you're being immersed in. But like I said, the world said, that word has become too religious for us. You all can have it, right? But literally, I could use this word in the context of a sentence like this. I could say, I'm going to baptize my Oreo in this milk, and that would be a correct way to use that word. I just lost everybody right there, didn't I? That would, I'm going to immerse this Oreo cookie in the milk. It's not a religious word. They, we kind of made it that way, right? It's just like um, Bible. Bible was not a religious word. It was a, a handbook of facts about a particular subject. I, what separated the book we call the Bible is, is the Holy Bible, right? There used to be a Bible for handguns and guns and things. So the, the word Bible is not a religious word. It's, but again, the world gave. And, and we've done the same thing, right? We gave the world, the world the word gay, didn't we? Gay meant to be happy, right, originally. But they took it and made it, in, and we said, you can have it. Right? They've done us the same way. Right? They've done us. They, so this word baptism, what I want you to understand here is it means to be immersed. So when you hear the language that Paul uses and Jesus uses, right? Because Jesus said, uh, or John said, I'm baptizing you. I'm immersing you in water. But there's one coming after me that's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. Right? 
You're not going back in the water, but you're going to get immersed in the Holy Spirit. So that's the, what the word means, right? And like I said, it's, it's a religious word now because the world's give it to us. But he says, uh, he says, do you not know as many of you were immersed into Christ, Jesus were immersed into his death, right? Now, the only baptisms we know about, three main baptisms, is the baptism in the water, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the baptism of fire that Jesus talks about. But here, we didn't get baptized into his death in the sense that we didn't go in that tomb with him or hang on that cross with him. But the reality is, in the supernatural realm, and the, uh, the, when we're born again, when we're renewed, redeemed, that's what's happening. That's what Paul's trying to get across. He's trying to, and what he's trying to do here with, with this chapter 6, I'm going to do away with this. He's trying to establish our position in Christ. And this was a battle because you can you imagine living under the law and then the new covenant coming? I mean, we, we, we look a little bit with disdain toward Pharisees and Sadducees because we think, what's wrong with you guys? Why didn't you realize? Uh, but think about the challenge that might have been for anybody. You know, you've been taught your whole life to take the animals up to the temple and do what Moses said and all that stuff. And, and then all of a sudden, here comes somebody saying, one greater than Moses is here. Now that, I know we're all, we can all be a little bit high-minded here if we're not careful and think, well, you know, I would have done, well, maybe you would have, hopefully you would have. But it, 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 I don't think we can just dismiss that as like, well, I would have walked straight away from the temple even though I'd been there for 56 years and walked right out on Hopefully you would have embraced Christ that way, but uh, not everybody did. In fact, most didn't. And he said, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death and that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So there's a transformation he's trying to talk about. And that transformation happens by being immersed into Christ. The water baptisms that we do here or at the river are the outward expression of what should have already happened with your life. When you go to the, the immersion of water, that's part of your testimony. Saying to the world, I'm a new creature. Right? I've given my life to Christ. I'm following Him. I've been immersed into Him. I'm immersed into His death and into His life. And now I have a new life. And by going in that water, I'm telling the world, that's what's happened to me. So you get immersed into the water as a testimony of the spiritual immersion that's took place when you accepted Christ. And so he, he, he keeps on saying, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, uh, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now what he's trying to do, as I show you this on the board, he's trying to establish your position. Because the devil wants to talk us out of our position. And usually... What he does to get us discouraged about our position is start throwing us some adverse conditions. That's how he works. Right? They got some truth from God. Adam and Eve did. And the devil come in and he started trying to make God look bad. Right? That's what he did. 
trying to get some adverse thinking going on in Eve, and it worked. He come in and he said, uh, you know, challenge what God said, and she, she stood up for a moment there, right? She said, God said we can eat of anything but this one tree. And he said, if we do that, we're going to die. And he said, oh, you're not going to die, right? So there's a lie. That's how the devil works. If you're getting voices talking to you, if it's the Holy Spirit, that's great. But if you'll listen, you'll catch the devil in a lie. He works off lies. And so he, he, gave, he, he gave her a lie. He said, you're not going to die. And then he pitted her against God. And notice how many people get disillusioned toward God. They're disappointed in God because he didn't maybe do something they wished he'd have done or you know, somebody died that they wished had hadn't have died or whatever, and they get crossways with God. But in this, in this context, he says to her, says, uh, you're not going to die. I said, uh, when you eat that, you're going to be like God. Basically, he's saying to Eve, God's holding out on you. He don't want you to be all you can be. And how much of that do we hear in our culture? You know, you can't be all you can be because of whatever, and you can fill in the blank. they got a thousand different reasons for that. I just don't believe that's America. Uh, there's a, a guy here in this town that grew up in such poverty, and he, he won't have it. He won't let anybody feel sorry for themselves around him because he grew up in such poverty and abuse, and now he owns several businesses in this town. He rose to the top. And, and, but she said to Eve, said, God's holding out on you, basically. He's not letting you be all you can be because he knows you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him. It's all a lie. She bought it. Adam went along with it, and here we are. So your position is what Paul's trying to establish here, but the devil's going to throw some adverse conditions and lie to you and I to try and talk us down out of believing that we're what the Bible says we are. Now, think about this. If heaven and earth's going to pass away, but this is going to stand forever, then what this says to you and me about you and I is going to stand forever. Think about this word God gave us in, I believe it's Philippians. He said, I'll be faithful to finish what I started in you. Now, ain't that one of the big ones we have trouble with? Right? We, we get discouraged, get beat up a little bit, and we think, well, I don't know if God's going to use me or do that or whatever. You know, and that's the devil, right? He wants... Because the Lord said He'd be faithful to finish what He started in us. So we've been united together in the likeness of His death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection because we've been immersed in Him, right? Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. Now that's what the Bible says. That's the truth of the Bible. But the devil don't want you to believe that. He don't want you to buy into that. Because not only did it take faith for you to come into the kingdom... But it's going to take your faith working for you to live it, for you to walk it out. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That, that phrase there, diligently seeking, doesn't mean somebody who 24 hours a day is standing in front of God talking to God and don't sleep, eat, or nothing. It, that phrase means somebody who don't neglect God. God knows you have families. He knows you have jobs. He knows you have responsibilities. He, he wants you to enjoy life. God's not trying to cramp our style. But God just don't want to be neglected. And if we neglect God, we'll neglect Him to our own hurt. 
And so that's what that phrase is saying there in Hebrews 11. God is a rewarder. That's an accounting term. It means payer of wages. That, because we can all understand that. I believe that's why the Holy Spirit used that word there. We all understand money, right? We know that paying of wage is a reward for some work or whatever, a task. And so the Holy Spirit chose to use that Greek word that means accounting term, that means payer of wages. doesn't mean that God will always give you money if you honor Him, but it means God will reward you. But He used that word. So, and He's a rewarder or a giver of wages to those people who don't neglect Him. So if you obey God and don't neglect Him and... He saved somebody you've been praying for for 15 years. That's worth any, more, any money you could get, right? I mean, those are the kind of rewards that we really love. You got a grandchild that's straight or don't know the Lord or a prodigal that's out there eating with the pigs and God returns them or saves somebody. Man, that, that's, worth, that's worth all the money in the, more than all the money in the world. And, and God is that way. If I... Uh, let me take you. Uh, let me take you to Ephesians chapter six real quick, because I sense the Holy Spirit here, and I want to drive this point home. If he he didn't slow down, so I need to keep riding with him. Uh, he drove right by the bus stop. I thought we was going to stop there. Ephesians chapter six. Uh, let me read a little bit of this to you because this will encourage you. Uh, uh, he says bond service. Now we started this book telling you what a bond servant was. Do loss somebody who's totally owned by the master and somebody that the master is totally taking responsibility for. So he says, bond servants, in verse 5 of chapter 6, he says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So, as Christians, we do everything we do with God in view, right? That's, that's how we're supposed to do it. Now, I'm not saying we always do that, but that's how we should do it, right? We do everything we do with God in view. Knowing that, look at this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. Do you understand what a powerful statement that is? Whether he is a slave or free. God's saying, if you do things my way and, and honor me when you do it, I'm going to reward that. I'm going to reward you. And then he says, and you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master is also in heaven and there is no partiality to him. Uh, so God is willing to reward us if we do things his way. It is possible that if we're not obeying the way we know to obey, and again, everybody's at different places. Everybody has different levels of light. You and I are asked to walk in all the light we've been given. Now, for somebody that's been saved six weeks, that's probably different than somebody that's been saved 16 years, or it certainly should be. <laughs> it may not be, but it should be. So you... You, they have more light. And what God's asking us to do as He reveals Himself to us, then we become responsible for that, right? It's just like a child growing up. You don't hold a child responsible for things, but as they grow, you, give, you hold them more responsible for things as they get older 
and as they mature. And that's what happens in our lives. So God is wanting to reward us. He, he loves to reward us. Now, let's go back to Romans. He says, uh, <coughs> excuse me. He says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. And that's why Moses got in trouble, right? For striking the rock too much. Uh, death no longer has dominion over him. For, because that represented Christ's death, and he's only going to die one time. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. So every sin that you and I have committed or will ever commit has already been paid for. Good news. <laughs> but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon, and there's another accounting word, Logizomeias reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that word, that particular word, is like putting something in a ledger that that is right. Right? If uh, if you simple way to say it, if I say in this column I've got two, in this column I've got two, then it equals four. That's correct. It's correct in the ledger. And so he says. Uh, reckon yourselves to be dead. Now think about this. You, that's, that's the Word of God. It may not be how you feel. That's your condition. But it's still mine and your position, if you believe. See, that's, that's what we got to understand. The devil tries to use circumstances to talk us down out of our position, to get us to start doubting, to get us to not believe, to get us to not trust, to get us to not endure. Read the New Testament. It's constantly talking about us to endure. And what causes us to not endure sometimes is when we get discouraged by the conditions that are around us. Remember me talking about the 12 spies? Here they come, 12 of them. They all saw the same thing, all 12 of them. 10 of them gave their report first, and they had everybody there weeping and crying and scared to death. They said, they, they confirmed that the lamb was flowing with milk and honey. And then they said, but there's, but there's giants over there, right? And they was scared to death and made everybody else scared to death. And here come Joshua and Caleb. And they said, confirmed, right? I don't like this kind of teaching in the church that talks about denying reality. We don't have to deny reality because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We overcome that. Here they come. They said, it's true. The land's flowing with milk and honey. And it's also true that there are giants over there. But Joshua tagged this on. He said, but God said... That the land is ours, so let's go take the land. Now, you see what happened there? He saw that, circumstances, conditions, but his position, man, I feel the Lord, was that I'm going to stand with God's Word no matter what I see with my eyes. And that's who we're called to be. That's who God's people have always called to be. I, I preached on this, probably not everybody's heard it, so I may give you a dose of it again this year. But uh, the Hebrews taught and thought 
in block logic. The Greeks and us Americans and most other cultures use linear logic. And so what we do is we say A has to be A and B has to be B and C. Everything has to line up or it ain't right or it ain't real. But the Hebrew was taught to take God at his word right there and forget everything else. And that's what Christian, the, he, you know what Moses said? He said, God's going to stand still and see the Yeshua, is the word he used, which is the name of Jesus. Salvation, it's translated salvation. Stand still, and see, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know what they were looking at? They were looking at an army coming from this direction. They were kind of triangular in there, looking at an army coming this way, a mountain this way, and a sea in front of them. And there's some dude up there in front saying it's all going to be okay. It's only going to be okay if you're hanging on something that you're not looking at. You know what the Bible said about Moses while he was the world's greatest leader that ever walked, right? Wish we could vote him into office, right? World's greatest leader outside of Jesus Christ, of course, because the Bible said he could see that which was invisible. Those are some real dudes there. Looking at that which is invisible. And so he, he declares that to them. They're probably looking at all the circumstances but Moses was telling them their position because he said, today you're going to see your enemy for the last time. God's going to take you over and he's going to drown them right here in this. And it is the beauty of Christ and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that in the last 60 years we've made those discoveries to let the world know God's real even though they still turn a deaf ear. They'd found the chariot wheels and things down there just like God said it in the Scripture. So here we are with no excuse to deny the true and living God and to understand that if we're going to be the people that we're called to be, we got to hold our position no matter what we see with our eyes. And we got to be like Joshua and Caleb said, I don't, I, we saw everything they said, but God said the land is ours. Let's go take the land. You know what the Bible did though? The, those people got scared and nervous and, and and they ha a whole generation had to die off before God took them in. You know why? Because they didn't believe. In Hebrews, it says unbelief is evil. He says an evil heart of unbelief. I'm convinced that true believers, if they see something that God's not happy with, they'll, they'll do something about it if they're a true believer. Well, if we look at unbelief the way God does, we'll start doing something about it. We won't excuse ourselves for it anymore. We won't pat ourselves on the back and say, we'll grow up someday. God's Word's the same yesterday and today forever. It doesn't matter if you're 13 or 113. His Word's the same. And it never changes. So he says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. So it adds up on the ledger. You and I, since we've accepted Christ, are dead to sin. Now, your condition may mess with that sometimes. Hang on to your position. Amen? Therefore, do not let sin, and this goes back to how this chapter started, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but grace. So he makes the contrast. All right. And I want to show you something here. 
He makes the contrast. Now this word present here, some of you have heard me use this before, is parasteno. That's the Greek word that we translate present. And it means the setting up of something. In other words, let's, let me read that. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You should obey it. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. That word parastano means do not set yourself up to do the wrong thing. But it can also be used in a positive context. The next thing he says, he says, but present, parastano, yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. In other words, set your life up in such a way that you will seek righteousness and not unrighteousness. Now listen, the strongest Christian is not the Christian that thinks they can deal or endure anything. The strongest Christian, the strongest Christians are the ones who've identified their weaknesses and have done things to guard against it. You're in the flesh. Tell your neighbor, say, I got bad news for you, you're in the flesh. And guess what? He wakes up, she wakes up ready to go every day. And it's not always, it's not necessarily gross sin, but he and she wakes up and do our own thing. Right? Going to do our own thing. How many Christians do you think just make decisions based on what they think's best and really don't necessarily hear from God about it? Because we live in the flesh. We all do that. You know? We all, and how many realize sometimes that's not worked out so well? <laughs> But that's the flesh, right? The nature of the flesh. So you need to set your life up, whatever your weakness is. One of, the guy who taught me how to pray really took me in the mountains. And so I've mentioned him before. He, didn't, he, was, an, he was an old coal miner. He, he never graduated from school or anything. He just The Lord taught him how to read, and he, could, he read his Bible constantly. was a praying man. And... Uh, but when he got saved, he said he loved alcohol. He loved it to no end. He just loved it. And he said when he got saved, he knew he had to set up some boundaries for himself to not get drawn back into that. And so he quit going to stores that sold alcohol. And you could say, well, he's a weak dude. Well, he was a new Christian. I think that's smart. I don't know what you call it. And then he loved NASCAR. And when he would watch NASCAR, he would... Uh, if a beer commercial come on, he'd change the channel. He did that for years until he felt like he had moved to a spot, right, to where he could go on. But that's wisdom. See, that's wisdom. He knew what the devil had used to almost destroy his life, and so he guarded against that. He didn't, he didn't think he was a superman and walk in and just stare all that. So that's what I'm talking about. This is one of the ways to victorious living. Don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Don't worry about it. I heard uh, the guy that pastored Southeast several years ago, he said, hey, I'm going to preach on um, three things. He said, and that's probably maybe the biggest church this side of the Mississippi. He said, I'm going to preach on three things. I'm going to preach on uh, immorality, and pornography, and living together. And he said, if we got anybody left after that, we'll meet in my garage. 
But he hit it. He, 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 he done a good job with that. He talked about how that you got to set yourself up to succeed, right? He talked about how if your cell phone is a problem, then get a cell phone that's not a problem. It ain't worth losing your job and your family over. I mean, that's plain talk, but that's the kind of talk we need to hear. And I was, I was encouraged to hear a guy that pastors 20-some thousand people to say that. That's not critical. That's not beating anybody up. It's just good sense. It's just the guy that said, I'm not going in that store anymore because they sell the thing that I used to be drawn to, right? I mean, that's just good sense. And you get stronger as you go on, but you make decisions based on understanding who you are. Just be real about it. Be real with God. You don't have to announce it to the whole world. I'm not saying that. Just be real with God. And as the Holy Spirit comes by and He tries to set you up to succeed, don't keep yourself in a spot where you're going to set yourself up to continue to fail. That's the idea of what's being said here. He's, he's saying, the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul, set your life up in such a way that it causes you to triumph in righteousness and don't cause you to fail in unrighteousness. Some people have accountability partners for things. Some people, their spouses, they're close enough and have that kind of relationship, which is a great thing. That's a, nobody knows you like your spouse. If, you, if you've got a spouse that you can be accountable to, if you're that then, and that's the best place to do it. But having that accountability, some people need that accountability. Some people have that with a close friend. Some people have that with a group. Some people set themselves, some people, uh, I, I just, I won't tell you this because my wife and I, we quit doing it. It got so bad, but um, for about a span of six months, uh, back, it's been years ago, back in ministry, we dealt with several troubled marriages, just getting beat up. And out of those, we counted one day, 30 some of them, that we were, had dealt with over a span of six months or a year, 20-some of them got messed up because of Facebook. They connected with an old flame. So I'm saying, I'm not saying Facebook's evil, but if it's causing you trouble, you see what I'm saying? We're not, we're not here, we're not being Pharisees and throwing a net on everybody and making their cookie cutting. But just be real. That'll help you in your spiritual life, tremendously, if you'll just be real with God. That's what that cup of coffee's about, right? And we're going to talk about that this Sunday. We're going to go through the prayer journey. We're going to have a little different service this Sunday. We've got a lot of new folks, and I want to remind everybody, because it's time to pray. It is definitely time to pray. It's getting crazy out there. But see, this passage here is telling us uh, what, you know, you sometimes... You have to break off relationships when you come to Christ. Because those relate, Paul said, good, evil communications will corrupt good manners. It'll draw you away. It'll draw us away. Especially when we're young and we're not built up in the Lord. You know, as you walk with the Lord and you get older too, you really don't care what people think. I get it. I, and I'm there, right? I'm there. I don't, I don't you know, if, if everybody quits on God, I'm just going to keep following and see what happens. I know what happens. <laughs> I'm not leaving. But I'm just saying, early on, those, those, those struggles are more real, right? Because he talks about that when the Word gets sown, the parable of the sower, don't he? 
some four different grounds, and some the devil. And I, I got challenged by the Holy Spirit today. I'm going to close here. Uh, because you need to reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. You need to not let sin reign in your body. So that means don't let those avenues be there for you. Cut them off. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your members as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, of righteousness to God. For sin shall not, this is a word, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. It's a good word. Help yourself out, though. Set yourself up to succeed in your spiritual journey. Whatever that means, right? It may mean you have to sever a relationship because it would pull you the wrong direction. It may mean you have to quit going to a particular store, right? Because it, whatever. It may mean you put your computer up in the living room where everybody can see you when you're on it. I don't know. I'm just throwing things. We live in a whole different culture. It's a crazy world. And David Wilkerson prophesied this. He prophesied. David Wilkerson prophesied. Remember him crossing the switchblade? A guy in New York. The uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle. Powerful. Uh, that movie, Crossing the Switchblade, was made when God sent him to New York. But he prophesied in the 60s to America that everything bad that was in the back alleys and in these theaters, these uh, theaters that are in the bad parts of town, he said, there's coming a day when every bit of that will be piped into the homes in America. And here we are. Here we are. He prophesied that. He prophesied that. So now more than ever... It's important for us to set boundaries. Know what you're capable of. Know how to set a boundary up. You will have so much more freedom if you'll be real with God and set boundaries up so that you can practice righteousness and not unrighteousness. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for all you've done. Thank you for your word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It heals us. It wounds us. It corrects us. It does everything we need. It encourages us, strengthens us. We're thankful for that, Lord. And we pray that your word will, we know that your word will not return void. Help us to stand on it, stand with it. In Christ's name, amen. amen.